Up next on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Having been raised from the dead with Christ and having experienced in our position victory over death as to its penalty and its power, victory over sin as to its penalty and its power, we're now ready to move on and live to the fullness of life. We're living a holy life for God. And again, greetings in Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Today, we return to our series out of Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. Series simply entitled, Just Stop It. Indeed, as we look at our new life in Christ, as we look at the freedom that we've been given from the desire to sin and the ability to sin, we find ourselves looking at the command, just stop it. With more, Pastor Steve Converse. See, this is his point here when he gets to verse 11 and 12. When he says 12, in verse 12 there, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. He's basically saying, you know what, this is your default, but you need to stop it. That's what he's saying. He's simply saying, stop it. He's not mincing any words. He's saying, if you're a new person in Christ, you need to stop this kind of behavior. He's saying in verse 12, stop letting sin reign in your mortal bodies. That's what he's saying. He says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you should obey its lusts. In other words, stop it. Stop it. And then he says at the end there in verse 14, for sin shall not be a master over you. He gives this blanket promise. What he's saying is stop sinning and obey God because sin shall not be a master over you. So many Christians go through their Christian's life struggling with something they don't need necessarily to struggle with because they don't understand the basic truth that the old man is dead and buried, that we don't have to be dominated by sin. For the first time in our lives, we're free to do what God calls us to do. Well, how do we stop it? it sounds like simple counsel, but how do we do this? Well, he says, don't let sin reign by following your lusts, but give yourself to God to live righteously under his grace. The first point in your outline, to apply these commands, you have to apply and understand the truths of Romans 1 through chapter 6. Now, we've been in Romans for, I think it's 46 messages today, or 45 messages, 46 messages today. And he says there in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign. Well, what are you saying, Paul? He's saying basically because of everything I told you up to this point, sin does not have to be a reigning dominion, a power in your life. If you've not understood and personally applied the truths that we've learned up to this point, it's going to be futile to try to apply the commands that we see here in verses 12 and 13. You're not going to get it. I mean, let's just recap some of the points that we've learned. First of all, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're sitting here today, please understand you're a sinner just like I'm a sinner. Just like the person next to you is a sinner. There's no getting around that. The good news is, is that God has given us a way to deal with that. 
Finally, once for all, when Jesus hung on the cross and it was over, he said, it is finished. He had victory over sin. He had victory over death at his resurrection. God did not leave us under his judgment. He provided a way to preserve his justice and yet to justify sinners. And he did that by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to bear the penalty that we deserve because of our sin. And God now graciously justifies the ungodly person who does not work for his salvation. You can't, but rather believes in the work that Jesus did as his sin bearer. And the result of that is a reconciled relationship, a restored relationship with your creator, God. As I said previously, before we were all identified in Adam, now we're identified in Christ. Having received God's free gift of salvation, we're united with Christ, we're made one with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And we won't fully experience that, beloved, until either we go to him or he returns to us. And in the meantime, whenever we're tempted to sin, what Paul is saying in verse 11, that we have to consider ourselves dead to sin, to reckon ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. John Murray said this in his epistle to the Romans, his commentary. He said, to say to a slave, don't behave like a slave, is to mock his slavery. But to say to a freed slave, don't behave as a slave, is to encourage him to act in the light of his new freedom. I mean, to say to a person outside of Christ, stop sinning, is futile. It's ridiculous. Why would you say that? They can't. We shouldn't hold the same standard for someone who doesn't know Christ that we would for someone who does. But when we say that to someone who has trusted Christ, who's been freed from their sin, then there's some meaning behind it. It's helpful. And the commands that Paul gives us here in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 to 13, they're not going to make any sense at all to you unless you are in Christ by the virtue of being justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace. That's the only way this is going to make any sense. Now, we know by the time we get to verse 11 here in our text, and we've been studying this, that we have died and we've risen again in Christ because we're joined with Christ. That's what we've been studying. We've already taken care of that in the first 10 verses of Romans chapter 6. We've studied it in depth. And now we learn here in these verses, 11 to 14, that having been raised from the dead with Christ... In having experienced in our position victory over death as to its penalty and its power, victory over sin as to its penalty and its power, we're now ready to move on and live to the fullness of life. We're living a holy life for God. Last week, when we were talking about Jesus being raised from the dead, I couldn't help but think of the account of Lazarus. It's a wonderful illustration of this truth that the Lord gave us in the gospel of John. You remember where Lazarus was in the grave for four days. He was dead. He was so dead. It says in 11, John eleven thirty nine, that when they were going to go to the grave and Jesus finally showed up and said, hey, take the stone away. Lazarus's sister said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has already been dead four days. 
But Jesus came and he demanded, in spite of her protest, that the grave be opened. And we all know what happened. He spoke the word, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus rose from the grave and he walked out. And this is the part of the story that gets interesting for us as Christians. In verses 43 and 44 of John 11, it says this, When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Verse 44, the man who had died came out. Listen, his hands and his feet were bound with linen stripes, strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. In other words, he was mummified. He was buried. So he came out, and here I am, you know. I mean, it's kind of a comical thing if you think about it. This guy comes out, he's all tied up. And Jesus says, what are you looking at? Unbind him. Let him go. That has an incredible analogy for us as believers. I mean, so many times I'll talk to Christians who seem to still be bound up. God raised them from the dead, but they're still bound in their sin. They still have their grave clothes on. And the Lord would say to us, get off those clothes. Get off those, those linen claws. Be loosed. Be free. We need to shed our grave clothes as believers. We've been raised in newness of life from the dead. We walk in the newness of that life, beloved. We need to get rid of everything that ties us to that deadness. We sing a song, a little phrase on the amazing grace. It says, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns on ending love, amazing grace. Do we really believe that when we sing that song? Do we really believe the Scripture when it says you're dead to sin? Sin does not have to reign in your mortal body. How do we really strip these grave clothes off? If you look over at 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted of the Lord is what the Lord is good. When you stop and you think about that, how are you going to do that? How do you just, you just kind of, is it just a mind game? You just figure out, okay, I just got to have a a battle of the wills here and I got to outlast my sin. I mean, we have to understand that God has called us to a peculiar life. He's called us to a life of holiness. He's called us to a life of holiness in not only our position before God as he justifies us, but also in our practice. Well, how is that possible? Well, we've looked at this and and we've seen here, even in Romans 6, over and over, we've talked about this. He uses the word know. Verse 3, he says, do you not know that you've been baptized into Christ? Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified. Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again, and death no longer has dominion over him. All the verses that we've been looking at in Romans 6, and really in Romans in its entirety up to this point, have been doctrinal, foundational truths. And Paul is saying, now you need to build upon these truths. There's a purpose in Paul sharing all this doctrine with us. And so when we get to chapter 6, verse 11, when he says, so you must consider. In other words, in summary of everything here, this is the conclusion. 
Having all these things settled in your mind, now let's get to the practical. You can't come to verse 11 without the first 10 verses. It just doesn't fit. In Scripture, you have to remember that when the Bible tells us to do something, it's not just something random. When it tells us to do something, it's always based on a doctrine. It's always based on a truth. God doesn't just exhort us to do something in a vacuum. <laughs> like, ah, I think I want you to do this for this reason. Yeah, well, whatever. I don't have any reason for it, but just go ahead and do it. No. There's always a purpose. God's truth is precept upon precept. It's built on a divine truth. And what Paul is saying is because all this is true, this now is how you need to behave. Well, what has been this doctrine that we've looked at? Well, first of all, that we've been united with Christ. When he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he rose from the dead, we rose from the dead. When he walks in newness of life after his resurrection, so we walk in newness of life. Paul's saying basically that since we're united with Christ in his death, that we too have fulfilled the penalty for sin because we're united with Christ. We have risen with Christ in his resurrection. Therefore, we walk in the newness of life. Every demand of the law has been met. Every demand of sin was met. The power of sin has been conquered. Christ will never die again. That's what he says there in, in verse 9 and verse 10. And because he will never die again, guess what? We will never die again. We're alive in Christ. Because his death so effectively conquered sin, we died that death with him. Not only is the penalty paid, but the power of sin is broken. And this is a fundamental truth that a lot of Christians don't understand. That sin no longer has to have dominion over us as believers. We can now live a new life in Christ. We're a new creation, a new man, a new nature. We're not what we used to be. There's not the new man and the old man, and every morning you wake up and, oh, who am I going to listen to? And you got to live this schizophrenic Christian life. That's not what we're called to. It says the old man is dead. It's buried. It's gone. And I think that we have to understand and remind ourselves that it's because that we know this truth. That's what gets us to the next step. Remember in the book of Hosea, the prophet Hosea said the people of God were all destroyed because of their lack of what? Knowledge. Their lack of knowledge. Not their lack of dedication. Not their lack of con consecration or commitment or anything else. No. But their lack of knowledge. You'll never be able to live as, as God tells you to live if you don't know about it. Even in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just and pure and lovely, whatever things are of good report... If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. What's he saying? You need to count on what is true. Don't believe the lie. Even over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, he talks about putting off anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy communication, all these things. He says, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and the old man has been put off, rendered useless, and you have put on a new man. Then he says this, which is renewed in knowledge. It's so important that we understand that. You cannot function on what you don't know. What do we know up to this point? 
We know that we do not have to be prey to sin's power. We know that the power of sin has been broken. We know that we don't have to fall victim to it. We know for certain that it cannot force us to do that which is against God. That's what we know. Those are facts. And so in verse 11, he says, because of this, because of your knowledge, then you need to consider this or reckon this. Reckon yourself dead to sin. See, the word know deals with the mind, right? It's a fact. We know this cognitively. This is what the Bible says. Either you believe it or you don't. But the word consider that we've looked at even last week deals with the heart. One deals with the mind. One deals with the heart. You know it to be so intellectually. And now you have to believe it to be so. You act on it. Logizomai, that was the word. You could simply translate it, you affirm the truth that you know. The Bible says that we're dead to sin. It no longer is a power in our life. We need to affirm that. We need to believe that. When I was studying this week, John MacArthur in his commentary pulled out five good points, or four good points, I think it was. And he asked the question at this point in the study, well, why is this so difficult for Christians to understand? If this is something that we know, and this is something that we should affirm, why are we still dealing with sin? Why is this hard to accept? First of all, he says, many of them do not realize that this marvelous truth simply because they've never heard of it. <laughs> and I've touched on this last week. I mean, I grew up in Bible college being taught, no, you know, after you become a Christian, now, the, now there's a war. There's this major war going on, and it's up to you to depend on who, who wins the war every day. Are you going to listen to your old nature, or are you going to listen to your new nature? It's all up to you, Steve. Wow. So when somebody shared with me, you know what? The old you is dead. It's not only dead, it's buried. It's rendered useless. That theology may not be correct, what you're saying. And when I began to look at the scriptures and began to realize, whoa, this is true. It changed my whole life, my Christian life. It changed the whole way that I interacted. See, some people think that salvation brings this, just a, this transaction, this forensic holiness because of their trust in Christ. And now God just kind of regards them as holy, but nothing else changes in their life. <laughs> they still sin, they do all that, but God has justified them. He's, he's counted them holy, so our position before God is one of holiness, but he would never expect us to live a holy life practically here on earth because, you know, we have this old nature and we're going to give into it and, and, and it just kind of plays into a sinful Christian life. And I would say that their idea of salvation is more one of addition. You know, you have the old self, and now you're born again, and now you have the new, new self. So you have the old self and the new self. This is the new you, the schizophrenic Christian. Who am I going to listen to? I don't know. That's not what God's Word says. God's Word says that he takes the old, new, old you, and what does he do? He transforms it. He changes it miraculously into the new you. The old you is buried. It's gone. What a, what a blessed truth if we can just get a handle on that. There's so many Christians, even today, they're dealing with guilt and sin. And, and they don't have to. But because they've been taught wrongly, they think, well, you know, that's where God's grace comes in. And right back to verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Yeah, sounds good to me. Secondly, Christians often find it hard to believe because that they're actually free from this power of sin, and he points out properly, he says, because maybe Satan does not want you to believe it. <laughs> we do have an enemy out there. 
He doesn't want you to live up to your potential. If the enemy of our souls and the accuser of the brethren as we know him wants to make us think that we're still dominated by sin in our earthly lives and, well, we just can't help ourselves and that's just kind of the normal Christian life, what's he do? He weakens our, our resolve to live any kind of holy life. I mean, I don't know about you, but if it, was, if it was up to me whether I could live a holy life based on my new you or a, a sinful life on my old you, and both of them were active, I'd probably listen to the old one every time. Third reason, he says, is not only because you've never been taught, or maybe it's just hard to believe because you see this Satan not wanting you to believe it, but thirdly, he says this, Christians often find it difficult to believe that they are free from sin's compulsion and that it's the reality of the new birth because salvation is not experiential. Redemption is a divine spiritual transaction that may or may not be accompanied by a physical or emotional experience. I'm sure we could go around the room today, beloved, and we could ask, how did you get saved? What? Oh, yeah, this is what happened, whatever. And some of us would have incredible stories. Some of them would be very emotional. Some of them would not. When I got saved, I was sitting at a dinner table over dessert, and the pastor kept pointing to Romans 3.23, all have sinned, all have sinned, all have sinned, for like an hour. And I just couldn't get it through my head. And finally, it's like God turned the light switch on. And I said, well, oh, that must mean me. Yeah, hello. Well, what do I need to do? Well, you need to trust Christ for your salvation. Well, why wouldn't I do that? I don't know. Well, let's do it. Okay, boom. I wasn't weeping for hours on the floor. It was a very factual thing for me. Well, this, I need to do this. And he did that for me. So I need to trust in that. This is the way it is. There was very little emotion attached to it. But that's just who I am. You may have a different experience. You know, we've all prayed with people to come to Christ and and maybe they were just bawling their eyes out and then, you know, we see them three weeks later and they're living for the devil more than they did before. We can't base someone's salvation on an experience. It's something that divinely happens in their life. We don't physically experience dying with Christ. I'm kind of thankful for that, actually. We can't experience the burial. We can't experience being raised. We have to take it by faith because that's what the Bible says. So when he says consider, it's, it's, it's the idea that this is a, a step of faith. It may not make sense. That's okay. There's a lot of things in the Bible that don't make sense, but because the Bible says they're true, I have to believe them. Let me tell you about people with great faith. People with great faith can accept the fact of the word of God without having to turn to some external proof. I mean, it sounds trite, but you know what? God said it. That settles it for me. See, the people who are always running around looking for signs and wonders, they don't have great faith. They don't have any faith. They have very little faith. They're looking for some kind of phenomenal reality, you know, to kind of relate to their spirituality. Just take what God says, apply it to your life, and say, you know what? This is true. I'm going to live this way. So, Salvation is not experiential. The fourth point he points to, and this is probably the most common reason why Christians find it hard to believe that they are freed from sin's power while they're still here on earth, is because they're still in a battle with sin every day. (laughs) If they have a new holy disposition and sin's control has truly been broken, they wonder, he writes, he says this, why are they still so strongly tempted and why do they often succumb to that temptation? I mean, the Apostle Paul wasn't any different than us. Look at Romans chapter 7. Man, he says, I'm in a major battle here. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I, do, I don't want to do, I end up doing. 
Oh, wretched man that I am. Doesn't sound like a happy camper. Why? Because this this tyranny of sin is going on in his life. There's a struggle going on with sin. And you know what? A lot of times we may lose that struggle, but we still have to believe the fact that sin is not a dominating factor in our life because the Bible declares it so. We need to count on that. We need to affirm that. We need to believe that. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.